it is good to be here at Cross Point Church. Um, I didn't know you guys did the double decker on the communion. So I want to start with confession. I drank the, 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 the blood first. And then I'm thinking, you know, when you go to new churches, you always get to deal with this stuff. And then I'm like, why are they talking about the bread? And then I looked around, and the bread's on the bottom. Like, it's stacked there, carefully. So I'll, I'll say that. I'm, I, forgive me for not, uh, not getting on board with your guys' tradition here. No, I want to talk to you this morning about worry. I, um, I will be preaching this week and, and next week as well, and I don't think that there is a better person to listen to, i.e. Jesus the Christ, and a better sermon to get it from, from the Sermon on the Mount. So I'd like you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Matthew chapter 6. And what I hope to do is I, I hope to tackle this, this whole passage beginning in verse uh, 19 and, and next week finish up all the way to verse 34. Chuck said, I've been able to, to do biblical counseling, uh, the one-on-one ministry of the word of God with another believer or unbeliever. And it, as I've been doing this, there's certain themes that pop up all the time. They're just always there. And these are issues that are common to man, as 1 Corinthians 10.13 says. One is my dissertation project at Southern's on forgiveness. That is, that is an issue that always raises its head in someone's life. That's for another time and another place. But here, the other thing that I see is worry. We all worry about different things. I'll tell you a story from, from my own life. I worry a lot about how I'm going to present myself in a pulpit. And I don't know what it is that's just been impressed on me early on that you need to take this seriously, what you're doing. And I've, I'm in a line of, of godly men. Of My father-in-law's pastor, uh, Matt Kerr. He's a senior pastor at Open Door. His father was uh, like department head of theology for Western Seminary and other seminaries. They know all the people that I read or re- help me draw things from the word. They know them. I was in uh, Pastor Kerr's son, son's church in West Sacramento studying for ministry. New church, uh, younger church, and uh, Billy asked me to preach, and I said, I, you know, I'm just not ready. I'm not ready for that. He says, okay, and he tried to encourage me and coach me, and I said, no, I'm not ready. In 2007, I got a call to um, Open Door Community Church in Shingletown, California, to be the associate pastor with uh, my father-in-law, and I knew it wouldn't be long until he asked me to preach. And there was that worry, that anxiety, that fear that gripped my heart, and something would needed to be done with that before I can step into the pulpit. So sure enough, he asked me if I would preach, and I said, yeah, I will preach. Now I have a job, right? I can't say no. <laughs> I'm not just a volunteer anymore. I'm actually on staff. And I remember being in the bathroom, I'm not kidding, just, just almost to the point of having an anxiety attack, thinking, you know, Pastor Kerr is going to be on the front row. 
the former pastor's here. He's going to be in the, in, the, in the church as well. And it was just scary. And I remember just the, the thought came to mind that, why are you worried about them? They're mere men. Worry about me. Jesus. This is my church. This is my word. I've called you to ministry. So worry about me. So I got this thing in my mind, right? How can I, how can I remember this time, you know? I'm not writing some book about Matt heard a voice from heaven. None of that stuff's going on. It was just pay attention to Christ. Make him your number one audience. And so I, my wife will tell you, so I made a little reserve sign, you know, reserved, and I put it in the front row. And this was going on, and it was just a visual reminder that Jesus is in the audience, and that's the one I should be paying attention to. So I was preaching at the mission, and I had the reserve thing out there, and Pastor Honey, if you guys know who he is, he sat on Jesus that day. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with it. I'm like, on the one hand, right, if I tell them that he just sat on Jesus, like, the mental health's going to be following up with me. But that was the day, Pastor Honey doesn't know this, but that was the day when I said, you know what, that reality, it's just a reality, that's all it is. But that, that was a worry, that was anxiety, that was fear. And I still am scared to death every time I, I come into the pulpit. As we read through um, Jesus' own words in the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to think about, just by way of application, something that you're worrying about this morning. Just identify that, that it could be many things, but what's the thing that comes to your mind when I think about worry, when, you, when I ask you to think about worry? Because I want to, partly I'm going to, uh, share with you from the Sermon on the Mount, but also I want to make this applicable to you uh, this morning to help you with that area. I knew from my own studies of the Word of God that, that worrying uh, is sinful. I know that because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. That's a command for, for Christians, those that know Christ, is coming from Jesus saying not to worry. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 31, also Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. It's another command. And then a, a few verses later in, in verse 34, he says, um, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. tomorrow. All these are commands for us, Jesus saying to us not to worry. And then Philippians 4, 6, many of you know, uh, do not be anxious about anything. Also, the Apostle Paul gives us a command there. Since worry is sinful, I want to propose to you this morning the idea that this is a worship problem. Worry is a worship problem. 
There is a difference between concern and worry and anxiety and fear. If you can think of it this way, if you, if you like a picture, on one side of, of the paper, if you draw the word concern and then you draw a line, and then on the other side of the paper, on the other side of the line, you have worry, anxiety, and fear. A concern, that's okay. That's not sinful. But when a concern goes wild, wild, when the concern goes over on the other side of the boundary and goes into the worry, that's when we go into the, the sinful spectrum of the whole idea. Dr. Jones from Southern says, a concern that consumes us because we fail to deal with it biblically. And that really is the challenge for us this morning. Not only to recognize that worry, anxiety, fear, those are sinful things, but more than that, what, not just so much to put off, but what do we put on in its place as Christians? Here's the hope for you. I know this doesn't sit well in a very psychologized society in which we live in. I understand that. Even some of the things that I've said about worry so far, you're thinking, man, that guy's so far out of touch. But I challenge you as a Christian to, to focus your, your energy, your attention, and make your perspective based off of what the Word of God teaches. And when you do that, you're going to find that Jesus is the solution to this problem. We just sang about him this morning. We worship him. Jesus is the solution because he's the only one that can deal with the sin problem. God has given his people everything they need to realign their worship. He's given us his sufficient word, the Holy Scriptures. He's, he's shown us the purpose of the word in 2 Timothy, verses 3 to 15 and 16. We know it. The Awana kids know it. It's to exhort, to rebuke, to encourage, all these things. But the word of God left without the reality of the Holy Spirit really is just religious Phariseeism, Sadducees. We can't overestimate this idea of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working in and through. This book is alive. It's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able to do things at the heart level that simply nothing else can do. The fact that Jesus addresses worry is encouraging. It's encouraging because this is an issue that Jesus knew that we as humans would be struggling with in a fallen world. And lastly, it brings hope because Jesus is speaking to his followers. Now, on the one hand, the Sermon on the Mount gets tricky, okay? Because uh, this is before the cross, and what Jesus is doing, basically, is uh, he's saying to the scribes and Pharisees about them, to his audience, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And then he begins to unravel the scribes and the Pharisees and what they teach, what they believe, and how you need to put those things off and put other things on in his place. So when you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it's not Christians looking back saying, wow, these are nuggets for my life that I can live by. It's more of, 
man, I've been cut to the heart. I'm convicted. Who can be saved? Who can enter the kingdom of God? No one can enter. And that was Jesus' point. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless you have his righteousness. That was the point of the whole sermon. So let's begin in in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, and then we're going to look back to the previous verses. Just a side note, um, I'm I'm, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, and everybody in here has, has their own Bible, probably different translations, so if it's a little different, that's why. Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now a good Bible student will see therefore and look back. What came before it? And I believe that Jesus is not only telling us here in verse 25, and this is what bothers me, This is why these types of things sometimes get a bad rap within the Christian community because people will start with, you're worrying? That's sinful. But they're not paying attention to what comes before it and everything that's said around it. So Jesus does say that worrying is sinful because it's a command. But he also, if you look at the passages we're going to consider this morning in verses 19 to 24, we worry because we have la- we've lost in a battle on either one of these fronts. So think of a war, think of three battle fronts, and these are going to become the pegs on which we're going to hang our thoughts this morning. Let's read the passage together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the first front. That's the first war front. It has to do with the idea of warring possessions. Number one. Let's look at the second war front. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The first battlefront is the warring possessions. The second battlefront has to do with warring perceptions. And lastly, verse 24. No one can can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So the third battlefront has to do with warring principalities. Warring principalities. So we are, in the Christian life, it's not a live and let God type of reality. The Christian life is swimming upstream in a hardcore battle against the flesh, against the world, and against the devil. And when you become a Christian, you know what this battle is like. And you know how hard it is. So we can look back and we can see the secret to not worrying, not becoming anxious, not being fearful, 
We can be diagnostic in the fact that we can, we, we've lost on one, of, one or all three of these war fronts, whether that's the possession, the perception, or the principalities war front. Let's look at the first one, warring possessions. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's the challenge. We as Christians have been saved out of the world. We've been plucked out of the kingdom of darkness. Plucked out, but we still live in. That's hard. We, at the heart level, have a battle that wages war inside of us. One's the new reality that we've been born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We have the Holy Spirit in us. But the other reality is we're also wrestling with remaining sin. There's the reality of salvation in the sense that Jesus died for our sins according to the gospel, that he was buried, that he rose again according to the gospel, according to the scriptures. And when God looks at you now, he sees Christ in you, and that's the perfect righteousness you need. That's justification. That is a declarative act made by God. But the reality is, after the cross, we live in between the already of salvation and the not yet of glorification. We can take this truth and we can learn now that in between this gap, this gospel gap, is the reality that I have a war front taking place at the possession level, the things that I choose to worship. So two things. You're going to either worry about earthly possessions. Uh, we worry because we're overly concerned about things on this earth, material things. I remember when my daughter was, was younger, we used to, to go on these car trips um, to Sacramento, and you have five hours in the car both ways, right? And to me, that's like the best time for discipleship. That's like the best time to, this isn't, hey, you, you went to school, you're exhausted, let's talk about life. No, this is, let's think about life a little bit. We're in a car for five hours, and Caitlin, she used to get upset because she used to be like, she got to that age, well, look at that Ferrari, you know? Now it's like a Tesla. All the kids are in the Teslas and things. But look at that Ferrari. And I say, Caitlin, you know what that is? It's a perishable item. You can't take that to heaven with you, right? And every time she would look at something, honey, you know what that is? To the point of frustration, right? Yes, dad, that's a perishable item. But what I was trying to instill in her was, don't hang on to these things. Because you're not going to take it to heaven with you. Right? And if you have it, enjoy it. Thank the Lord for it. But don't hold it with a closed hand. Because when we do that, it's taken over our hearts. Right? How do you know? 
Because when that thing's taken away and you're holding it with a close hand, that's James 4, isn't it? We want something and we don't get it, so we fight and we quarrel. These are happening from the inward desires of the heart that have gripped on to the earthly possessions of life so much that if we try to take it from us, we react sinfully. So we need to keep a, a, an, an open hand on the earthly possessions. And if God has given that to you, be thankful for it. Right? That's what I think the Bible teaches. I don't think the Bible teaches us all to go sell everything we have and um, go be in the slum somewhere. God may call some people to that. But think about the church as a whole. If everybody did that, right? It wouldn't be a good thing, right? So the earthly things, they're, they're good so long as you remember that this came from God, right? And, and that I'm thankful for this thing, whatever this is. That can be a, a relationship that you have, uh, a spouse, your, your relationship to your children, your health. Uh, maybe it's success that God's given you, um, your happiness, what, whatever that is. Those are earthly things. But then there's the idea of heavenly possessions. Everything you have in Christ is a heavenly possession. Ephesians 1 probably caps, if you, if you want to turn to Ephesians 1, I'll read it. If you want to know the kinds of things that Paul's talking about, or Jesus is talking about here, Paul picks up on everything we have in Christ in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us and him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. Paul that's, this whole thing is one sentence of just praise. And when I'm thinking about the things that I have in Christ, this is what I'm thinking about. I can never wrap my mind around the goodness and awesomeness and love of God that I have because I'm in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has caused us to be born again to the living hope through the resurrection of the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us, being guarded by God's grace. When we worry, I don't know about you, but when I worry, I'm very far away from heavenly thoughts. 
my heart has been holding tight with a closed fist to the things of this earth. And when I get frustrated and those things are taken away, I really know what's going on in my heart because of what comes out of my mouth and with my hands and my actions. It's not a heart that has been gripped by Christ living by those realities. So there is a war at the possession level of what you possess. Here's the bottom line. What you value in the mundane will control your life in the mundane, the little moments of life. So we need to put off earthly possessions. We hold those with an open hand and we need to put on heavenly possessions and Christ holds those with a closed hand. Nothing can take those things out of his hand. Read Romans chapter eight and see there that truth. But Psalm 73, 25 and 26 says, whom, I, whom do I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So not only will worry result when we lose the battle on the possession level, but we will also worry if we lose the battle at the perception level, and that's the second foundation. Read with me in verses 22 and 23 of Matthew 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, Jesus speaking before the cross, before the gospel realities that we remembered this morning, Jesus is the light that comes into the world. You remember John chapter 1, verses 9 and 12, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus is the light that has come into the world, shining through darkness. Darkness of what? Well, the 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, darkness. The God of this world, little g, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the glory of the gospel. That's a haunting reality. I don't know about you, but before I was a Christian, 22 and before that, I used to think that I had everything all together. It's all about me. This is my world. I can do whatever I want to do. Then I met Jesus Christ. And he flipped my world upside down. You don't want to know where? Where he did that? Matthew chapter 9. Don't turn there. I'm telling you a story. I don't want to lose you. Look, I'm looking at you. I was a a young man, 22 years old, living in Sacramento, California. 
I was set on Davis. I wanted to be a physician assistant at UC Davis. That's why I was there. I had to become, I had to work with a physician that would take me on and preset me. I ran into some guys at the gym who were Christian. I didn't know it, but they were different. One guy, 34 years old, was still a virgin. That got my attention. What is it about this guy that makes him live this way? What is it about him? It kind of slams the church's idea that we need to become like the world to win the world because when I was in the world, that didn't win me because the church trying to act like the world was weird and they're bad at it. But when Christians live like Christ in the world, that gets the attention. And it got mine. It got my attention so much that before you know it, I'm working out with these guys. Every Sunday, we work out three or four hours, then it's during the week, and they're just talking with me. And then they gave me a Bible. And then they, I think, you guys cross the line now, right? What are you doing? And he just challenged me. His name's John. John has a special place in my life because he led me to Christ. But John said, why don't you start with the gospel of John? I'm like, that's good. So I got my Bible. I was over here in the Old Testament. Finally came around to John. But before John, I ran into Matthew. That's my name. Why am I going to read his gospel? Right? So I went back to John and I said, hey, man, there's Matthew in the Bible. Can I read that? He says, yeah, go ahead. So I started reading Matthew, little by little, chapter and night, sometimes just a little passage, just coming to grips with who Christ, who is this one? I had based my conceptions based off of what the world thought about Jesus, but I never had gone to the word of God to see who Jesus is for himself. And it rocked my world. It rocked my world so much that Matthew chapter 9, when Matthew got up, and left his tax booth to follow Jesus, that's exactly where I was at that time in my life. All the things I was chasing after came to that pivotal point where I said, Matthew, tax collector. Matthew, me, phlebotomist, right? Despised job, tax collector, despised job, right? Going towards, so there, I mean, there's so many things there. Going towards success and fame, on the road to Davis, on the road to... Whatever it was, this one, challenged by Jesus, follow me, leaves everything and follows Christ. Matthew chapter 9, I gave my life to Christ. And pray a prayer. It was more of, this one is special. This one holds the keys to salvation, death. This one, as much as I knew, is willing to forgive me of my sins. I'm following him. There's a war in my heart. There's a war in my heart today. There's a war in your heart today. The war has a lot to do with what you perceive, how you look at things. Jesus is the light that came into the world. He saved us from the darkness. He removed the grip. He disarmed the powers and authorities that were against us, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. He plucked us out of the kingdom of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of light, and Paul's testimony to Agrippa was exactly that. That's powerful. 
When I preach at the mission, which is mainly, it's a little mix of everything. That's the gospel I preach. And that's the gospel that they get. That they are under the control of the evil one, Ephesians chapter 1. They're, they're carrying out all the desires and the passions of their heart according to him. See, that was my point that I was trying to make, and I'll make it now. I thought I was living for myself, but I really wasn't. I was just somebody in the line of Adam and Eve with their nature, and I was someone that was carrying out the desires of the heart that were evil, that were bent towards the world, the devil, and my flesh. And what I needed was the gospel invasion. I needed Christ to come in from the outside. I was looking for the answers in here, but in here it is not good. Read Mark chapter 7. Because it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean. It's what comes out of a person that makes them unclean. That's what people need. Crosspoint church. People in your community need the gospel. Well, that's, that's easy for you to say. You're, you're just, you know, you're up on the hill. Um, you, you teach over here sometimes at the, the Bible college. That's not how I perceive it. I perceive it as just trying to be faithful with where God has me and everyone that comes to me. You know why I'm so excited about counseling discipleship? Because people like they came to Jesus and the gospel accounts come to you with their problems. And if they don't know Christ, guess what? We're not about a Band-Aid ministry. We're about gospel transformation. We're about you engaging people right where they're at with the problems and saying that this is the answer. Jesus is the solution. You need the Holy Spirit. That's a little different than go down the street and talk to this person or go to this or do this or whatever it is you want to plug plug in. Do we believe that God saves? Yes. Do we believe that God saves us from sin? Yes. Do we believe that God has disarmed the powers and authorities that are against us so that we are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness? We're no longer slaves to the evil one, but slaves to Christ. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever problem you have, where are we going to turn? I don't know about you, church, but this is where I find my answers in the Word of God. That's perception realities. People ask me all the time, do you believe in the supernatural ministry of Jesus Christ? And I say, well, let's define that. Because if I believe in the supernatural, absolutely I believe in the supernatural ministry of Jesus Christ. I believe that when someone bows their heart to Christ and they're plucked out of the kingdom of I and they're brought into the kingdom of Christ. That's supernatural. I believe in the supernatural ministry of Jesus Christ when husbands and wives come at me at war amongst each other. And they begin to no longer serve their own kingdom, no longer serve their own will, no longer serve their own desires. But they learn instead to serve the king of kings, his kingdom, his will, live for his name above their own. That's supernatural ministry to me. 
And you know what's cool about it? We work with God and that ministry. We don't have to wait on something to happen. God says that we can have that now. And I can't tell you how many people come with just one person. The other persons, for their own reasons, are gone. They don't want anything to do with them. I've seen abandonment. I've seen adultery. I've seen everything under the sun. But you take that one person and you say, look, you're here. You love Jesus. You recognize where you're, you've, you failed. Let's, let's confess this to the Lord. Let's move on. Let's move forward. And guess what? You can have the peace that surpasses all understanding no matter what someone else does, no matter what the circumstances are. Isn't that Matthew 7? I think, yeah, I think it is. Matthew 7, the parable of the two builders, isn't it? Didn't Jesus promise that? The winds blow, the rain beats on the house, the floods come, but the builder that builds their house, their life upon the word of mine, these words of mine, you, you, st- you sit with a steady foundation on the words of Christ that no matter what happens outside of your life, doesn't matter because you can have the peace that surpasses all understanding in spite of it. This is why I get excited about the personal ministry of the Word of God. Oh, I get excited about preaching too, but discipleship, one-on-one ministry, church people with the same gifts, who have the Holy Spirit, who have the Word of God, who have all the resources, working together for God's glory, Jesus, the head of the church. So Dr. Jones also says this, when we fail to see Jesus as our light, the darkness of worry will rule over us. And that's where a lot of people come for help as they've allowed the darkness of the world to supplant the light of Christ. What's the solution? Colossians 3.1 If then we have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 Looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith, and dare I draw you to an old hymn in the 21st century. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. These are good hymns, not to be forgotten. So not only will worry result when you lose the battle on the possession level, but we will also worry when we lose the the battle on the perception level. And the last war front has to do with the warring principalities, and I'll go over this quickly. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here's a question this morning. Who are you serving? The things that you worry about reveal who your masters are, who your idols are, who your false gods are. 
Where are your allegiances placed during the storms of life? The reality is there's only two kingdoms. There's one kingdom that overshadows everything else, and that's God's kingdom. But underneath this kingdom is another kingdom, another domain that Satan rules. He's the God of this world. There's two kingdoms. There's two voices. One voice that overshadows the other one, but the voice of the other kingdom as well. You have one heart. The Holy Spirit in you loves the overarching kingdom, adores the overarching kingdom, helps you stay focused in on that king. But the other reality within you is your remaining flesh, your remaining sin that hasn't fully been eradicated and won't be eradicated until Jesus returns and gives you a new body. That remaining flesh, that remaining sin, has a law, according to Romans chapter 7, where Paul is struggling with this reality of wrestling with remaining sin. The good things I want to do, I don't do. The bad things I don't want to do, I do. So I find, find there to be a law, he says, that when I do right, tell me if this describes your week. When I do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, my inner being. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's there, right? But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. You're in a war. And the war is taking place out there, yes, but it takes place in your heart as well. There's two kings, two kingdoms, two voices, two laws, and all of it circles back to your heart and what you're going to do. So how can we win in this battle? How can we win in this battle of worry? Where he comes to 625, he says, therefore, do not worry. Therefore, do not be anxious about your life. Well, Jesus just told you what you need to guard yourself against. If we're going to win in this battle of worry, we need to recognize God's grace first and foremost. Secondly, we need to know and trust Jesus. And third, I encourage you to do this this week as you get alone with the Lord in your own devotion. We need to confess specific ways that we are trusting in ourselves. So we've looked at three war fronts. Here's the test. What are you treasuring in your heart this morning at the possession level? How are you perceiving things? 
And who are you serving? The law of sin or the law of righteousness? Christ your king or your old master? Once you recognize those, turn from them. Go in a different direction and follow Christ. And when you do, you will not be anxious about your life. Why? Because you have joyfully given those domains over to the sovereign, wise, and good God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am thankful for the fact that your son touched the earth with his feet, that he came and he lived among a people, and he offered the free grace of the gospel to everyone who would believe, everyone who recognized that they're sick and in in great need of a physician, those are the ones you came to save. Lord, it's not as if people who don't recognize don't need recognize those truths do not need you because they do but the reality is we come to a point in our lives when we realize that just like psalm 88 how we're just in the deep darkness of life and there seems to be no hope but god you rescue us and so we've re- we've we've committed our lives to you So, Lord, this morning I pray that you would help us all, your church, with the reality of these three war fronts. Help us to see what you see. Help us to hold on to the earthly things, Lord, with with an open hand, knowing that if those things get taken away, they're just a gift from you anyway. And help us to serve our King and Savior, Jesus Christ, who enables us to live for you, glorify your kingdom, your name, and your will above our own. We pray these these things in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen.